This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss how to treat respiratory viruses with geriatric pharmacist Andy Donald. We'll learn about our aging population and the stress on caregivers with author Asha Terry. We'll discover strategies for coping with perimenopause with holistic nutritionist Aaron Ashley. And lastly, we'll find out how to protect your pets from extreme cold with veterinarian Dr. Carol Osborne. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot. Science now confirms that love actually leaves a mark on our brains. The brain produces more of the pleasure-inducing hormone dopamine when we're longing for or hanging out with our partner, new research out of the University of Colorado suggests. But when we break up, their unique chemical imprint fades away. The research suggests that certain people leave a unique chemical imprint on our brain that drives us to maintain these bonds over time. Question. What's the best way to make sure you're getting the most up-to-date and accurate health and wellness information? Answer. The Tonic Newsletter, of course. Visit www.thetonic.ca and sign up today. I'll be joined by Andy Donald in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. Andy Donald is a certified geriatric pharmacist and president of the Health Depot Pharmacy. His passion to help patients and deliver personalized services led him to launch the Health Depot, Canada's only online clinical pharmacy. Andy's active in his profession, serving on several committees, including the Alzheimer's Society of Ontario's Ontario Dementia Care Alliance, and he's the Prescribe It Pharmacy Ambassador for Canada Health InfoWay. The Health Depot Pharmacy is an online clinical pharmacy providing free, no-obligation consultations. Uh, They'll meet you to discuss your medications and answer your questions and deliver your prescriptions free anywhere in Ontario. For more information, visit thehealthdepot.ca. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you doing? Not too bad. How are you doing? Happy New Year's. To you as well. So, not as much COVID news, although, you know, it's there there in the periphery and you can read about the ebbs and flows but certainly i've been reading a lot about the impact of respiratory illnesses i'm sure you have as well huh absolutely yep it's very apparent especially when i mean our our winters seem to be getting a lot more warm so it's uh anything time it's above zero degrees and it's wet outside that's when all these viruses really have their day (laughs) right they really 
you'd see a lot of sicknesses and a lot of coughing. Absolutely. So I guess the upside of this polar vortex is maybe we'll get a little bit of a break from the respiratory illnesses. But I think there's a lot of people out there who perhaps are suffering from it. So why don't, we, why don't we talk about that today? In recent episodes, we discussed both Paxlovid and Tamiflu as uh, potential treatment options for COVID-19 and the flu. Can you sort of go over how the, they work? Absolutely. As a little refresher, um, Paxlovid works. As, that's the one we take um, for an active COVID-19 in, infection. And what it is is a protease inhibitor which means um, all viruses, how they work is they, they're not living things, just to remind everyone, they're like microscopic. Sometimes COVID-19 is a billionth the size of a human cell. So what it does is it's a simple layer of proteins and one genetic code, and it goes inside your cells and hijacks your cell's machinery to make new ones. So what Paxlovid does pretty in- ingeniously doesn't allow, once it, it does replicate in your cell, doesn't allow it to be cut up into the right pieces and right parts to allow it to be packaged together and leave your cell. So then what it does, in essence, it traps it in your cell and then uh, doesn't let it keep spreading to other cells so your body can then attack and kill that cell um, and limiting how much the virus spreads. So what it does is a combo of a new medication that blocks cutting that specific COVID-19 virus, but another one that's actually used in HIV. It's kind of a combo, but... It works really well, and it, but the main thing, caveat with that one, is it has to be taken within five days of your symptom start or it doesn't really work. Now, the one that you can take to treat an active flu inv- influenza uh, infection is uh, Tamiflu, which is now generic called Oseltamivir. Um, and what it blocks is neuramidases. That's the, if you have H1N1 or H3N1, uh, the ends is the neuramidase. It's a protein that, um, if you block it, it prevents the, the vesicles of the virus, similarly, the, from budding off your cells. It kind of traps them on the outside edge. Um, and, you know, again, lets, lets your body attack it before it spreads to other cells. And, but the main thing with that one, it has to be started within 48 hours of your symptom start for it to be effective. But then they're both mainly used... Uh, and uh, used to treat active infections. Okay, so I think people are aware that pharmacists have some capability to prescribe and and dispense medicines in ways that they couldn't previously. Are pharmacists in Ontario able to prescribe Tamiflu and Paxlovid? Absolutely. So there's regulatory changes made in the last few years that pharmacists are allowed to prescribe both, both Tamiflu and Paxlovid, uh, under specific conditions and guidelines. So Paxlovid, because of the COVID-19 shutdown, is actually covered by the government for all eligible patients, whether or not you have government coverage or not. The caveat with Tamiflu, though, is it's not funded for all. It's covered. You have to look at your plan if you do have a drug plan. If you don't, you have to pay cash. Uh, it is covered by the Ontario Drug Benefit Program with a limited use code, um, but you're, you'll be subject to the typical dispense fees, deductibles, and co-pays. So Tamiflu, so when you say that it may or may not be covered, you know, what's the average cost for a dosage of Tamiflu? It's much better now that it's generic, but it's still, it's pretty adequate. Um, <laughs> it's not like, it's on the lower end because it's, okay. uh, usually when things, drugs go uh, generic, it's usually now about an eighth to a tenth of the cost it was when it was brand name, which is great. So then it's available for everything. It's the same drug. 
so it's a lot more affordable. Okay. Um, and definitely can help you with symptoms because it, like I said, it really limits the spread and thus the damage that the flu or COVID does to you. Okay. So, but the, these only work on on viral infections and not bacterial infections. So, how as a pharmacist do you know if somebody were to come in and, and ask for one of these drugs that the patient actually qualifies to get it in terms of their condition? So that's a little trickier. And so how, what it does, so if you come and see a pharmacist, there's like questionnaires we do. Okay. So flu and COVID-19, generally, if you're active, like people sometimes are asymptomatic with COVID-19, but when you have symptoms, they very much mirror influenza. So it's very tough to distinguish between influenza and COVID-19, believe it or not now. It's, uh, you know, as uh, COVID-19 has become less severe and, but like easier to spread. It's coming closer to the flu now. Mm-hmm. But what you need to do for to know one or the other, there's things that the pharmacists have to do. Patients don't need to know that, but we need to confirm if in order, first of all, that to get a uh, Paxlovid, you have to have a positive test result for COVID-19 and have the symptoms. Okay. So um, a simple, you know, cheek swab one, like nasal swab, right? Like yep. a rapid test um, or a PCR test is enough to confirm that. Mm-hmm. But then, likewise, in order to qualify for a pharmacist to say that you do have, then if it's not COVID-19, you have a negative test, that's what you need to then say, okay, well, you have flu-like symptoms or COVID-like symptoms, but now we know it's not COVID-19, so then it's likely the flu. And then at that point, we can prescribe Tamiflu with, based on some other criteria, though, of course, but okay, that's the general, uh, what we have to do. Okay. Um, so do you get special training in order to do the, these sorts of screens? Absolutely. Pharmacists have to complete, uh, additional training and a certification to do, the, uh, to be properly, uh, to be able to prescribe Tamiflu and Paxlovid in Ontario. Thankfully, the, uh, the, our governing bodies have made this like a prerequisite and, and our, like all pharmacists are getting this training. But um, yeah, absolutely. It's it's something that we're trained on and we're able to do and get to people a lot quicker. Because as we know, with our healthcare system being burdened, sometimes people can't get an appointment with their doctor for a couple of weeks. And then by then, you know, as long as you're still alive, or, you know, um, your flu is probably gone by then. Right. And also, you know, the, the protocols are, you know, you're not supposed to be out and about if you are infectious. So like, What's the process? Do I have to go to a pharmacy in order to see a pharmacist in order to be properly screened, or how does it work? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, like generally it's best to come in. You can always phone to try to book an appointment. Right. And then the typical wear a mask, right, you know, if you come in to, for an assessment. They can do some virtual assessments and stuff like that for yeah. prescribing. It's up to like really, um, but at the same time, it's best that you do because they need to confirm that positive test result and things like that, right? So that's one of the criteria. But I mean, obviously, anytime you, th- you suspect that you're sick, you should always try be wearing a mask in, in public as well, right? Mm-hmm. To limit the spread of the virus. So like if, if I'm feeling under the weather and I, I came to your pharmacy and, and like how, like from a procedural perspective, can I get those drugs like right away? Are they dispensed or is there a time lag? Like how does it work procedurally? Yeah, so we can, so as a prescriber under the legislation, you're allowed to get at it. You can go to a pharmacy and get that assessment and they write a prescription for you. It's just like a doctor's prescription. You can then say, I don't want to get it filled here. I want to go get it filled at my other pharmacy, right? Mm. At this pharmacy over here. You're allowed to do that, okay? They're not allowed to keep it there. 
But I mean, if you're already at that pharmacy, most most people just get it filled there because we have an adequate stock and supply. You don't have to go to another stop. Right. It makes it very, very easy, uh, one-stop shopping kind of thing. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Given that, you know, there's a lot of news out there with people having respiratory illnesses, what are, 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 are we fully stocked as a province? Like, is it easy to access? Should we call ahead to make sure that, that the drugs are there? At the moment, I don't think there's a back, backlog, but it's always best to call ahead for sure, right? To make sure availability, if, if the pharmacist is going to be either like, you know, if, whether or not there's a lot more virtual um, reviews you can do for these, uh, for all, a lot of different conditions, minor ailments as well. So not just specific to this, but um, always call ahead. Sometimes you might have to book an appointment depending on how busy they are. And it's always good to know at any time to call ahead to make sure that they have, like, you also have the uh, medication, right? Mm. So if the pharmacy doesn't, they'll be, they should be upfront about that and suggesting where you could go somewhere else to get it. But right now, I don't believe there's a back order in either Tamiflu or uh, Paxlovid. Okay, so I'm, I'm ignorant. I don't know what the dosage is for, for these drugs. Uh, are you capable of giving in, in your prescription? Is it the same as if a doctor gave it? Like, can you prescribe it such that like it's a one-stop shop and I'll get that dosage and then I'm good, presumably, for to, to deal with the illness? Yep, absolutely. And so there's other factors we also have to do and look into as well. So okay. both of those drugs have, well, especially with Paxlovid, there's a lot of drug interactions. So okay. it's not just simply we prescribe it for you. We have to look at all your medications. Some of your medications might need to be stopped temporarily, depending on what they are. Switch lower dose, because generally what happens is if you take, especially Paxlovid, your liver enzyme slows down a little bit and other drugs stick around longer. So often you might have to adjust and take lower doses if it's a very important med. If it's something that can be stopped for a period of time, then yes, you could stop it. Sometimes even for two to three days after you're done your therapy. But or switch to uh, safer alternatives so that we do need to do a med assessment on that, especially for Paxlovid. But there's also, yeah, like it, for both of them, you also have to make sure if it's very important if you have, um, for instance, like poor renal clearance, poor kidney function, mm-hmm. both of them, the doses need to be adjusted for that because like, they'll stick around a lot longer in your body. So we need to make sure that we are adjusting for that. So often we'll want to know uh, your creatinine clearance, your kidney function, and have, have that information available as well. The pharmacist should be asking you about that because that we would have to tweak and adjust the dose as well. Is there any cost difference between getting a prescription from a doctor or a pharmacist? Nope. Um, the prescribing is free. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not you get it from the uh, for the patient, the prescribing side of things, the government will cover the prescribing side. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not it's a doctor or pharmacist, and actually, believe it or not, uh, surprise, surprise, it's much, much, much cheaper for the Ontario healthcare system and our taxes to get a pharmacist to do it because we're paid a lot less than a doctor to yeah. do the same assessment. Right. So, but. The only difference is whether or not the drug is covered for you, whereas for Paxlovid, everyone's covered as long as you qualify for the criteria to get it. And but you know for um, for but for the actual influenza one, right? Uh, for Tamiflu, it just depends on your drug coverage. Uh, any potential side effects with these drugs that we should be aware of? Um, it's more so drug interactions. The okay. uh, drugs themselves have very limited side effects. Like it's the g- usual, right? Sometimes people can get dizzy or little upset stomach from uh, any kind of medication that doesn't agree with them, right? Um, but it, for the most part, they're on the more tolerable end of the spectrum for medications okay. for limiting side effects. It's more so 
the the drug interactions that you need to be aware of, um, and like I said, like Paxilvid affecting your other medications that then cause big side effects. And pharmacists who've been properly trained are qualified to offer advice or assistance with respect to these drugs, right? Absolutely. So that's another thing that we have to go through. And the government's done a great job at, there's a nice guideline and, a, and, a, and like reminder questionnaires and stuff that they can, uh, that they have that the pharmacist then can follow to ensure that we're, you know, ticking all the boxes. If it's a busy pharmacy and whatnot, we should be going through that, making sure there's no gaps to make sure that we, we cover all those points and assess what meds need to be changed and look into your renal function and things like that to make sure it's the safest dose and the right medication for you. There are contraindications for some of these meds that we need to also double check, right? But mm -hmm. uh, without going to all of them, like it's just a reg like a regular medication that we do. It's just now pharmacists should be doing this for any me new medication provided to a patient. So it's nothing different. We just now are more on the prescriber side as well as the uh, the dispensing side. Where can patients uh, find pharmacies or pharmacists who are authorized to prescribe? H how would we know? Um, most should do this. So it just depends. I guess it's more like on workload if they decide not to. <laughs> okay. So um, call your pharmacy and ask, right? Um, a lot of pharmacies are a little more um, adopting a lot of these new clinical services. It's good to just call and ask, is this something you guys do? Uh, usually most pharmacists should be able to do it because like they are Ontario College of Pharmacists have made like a lot of training mandatory, right? Mm -hmm. But it's just whether or not they have the time and whether or not they, they can uh, labor-wise to to do them. Um, so just always give your pharmacy a call, and if not, then ask them if they know another pharmacy that can. But I think most do it, so um, it's good to just just call ahead when you're inquiring about it and ask, and then they at least should point you in the right direction. Fantastic! Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Happy to be here. Thanks again. That was Andy Donald. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss caregivers for an aging population on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Attention men over 50. Do you search for restrooms everywhere you go? Wake up several times at night just to go pee again? Are symptoms of a benign and large prostate taking over? Prostate Perform helps reduce the urgency and frequency of pesky pit stops in as little as 7 to 10 days. Available exclusively through natural health food stores. To ensure these products are right for you, always follow label directions. Welcome back to The Tonic. Your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. 
Asha Terry is an accomplished mental health practitioner, life coach, writer, and three-time uh, caregiver to adults with dementia. Her ability to quickly diagnose social, behavioral, and environmental stress in fast-paced, highly charged situations and counter it with direct action and strategy to help adults transform their relationships with people, work, and emotional well-being are her specialty. Asha is often called upon by wellness companies, entrepreneurs, and media outlets to help synthesize the interpersonal challenges that working people grapple with while performing work and providing care to their loved ones. And for more information about Asha, you can go to lifecoachasha.com. Welcome to the show, Asha. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk about an aging population in North America and how that's impacting the people that are giving care to them. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So can you discuss uh, the aging population in North America and why you think more people will become caregivers in the next decade? So we have a growing number of baby boomers, as I think the world around us knows and is well informed of, and that's great. People are living longer, which means people hopefully are taking better care of their health. But that also means that we have people who are working longer or returning to work. And that means we have more people in the workforce at the same time. So people who are called uh, caregivers and caregivers who might be in the group of people who are either raising children or working full-time may also find themselves to be in a caregiving role now or at some point in the future because of this dynamic of so many people in the workforce and people aging, living longer. I, I would say, in, in my view, it's not just that people are living longer. It's just that our ability to help the quality of their life hasn't matched our ability to uh, improve the longevity. So people are living longer, but they're not necessarily living better. And I think that's causing problems as well. So I think it's dynamic in this way in which we are seeing, depending on where you are in the world, let's, let's maybe put some demographic information into context. Sure. If you live in a community where you are engaged socially with networks, so we know that there are people who worked for 40-plus years, they probably have friends in religious communities, they probably have friends from their former employment, they probably have friends that live in their surrounding neighborhood. And if they have been engaged, then more than likely they may still have friends and relatives and loved ones who are nearby. And in those instances, what we see is that people actually do have a better, quote unquote, better quality of life because what we know from research is that as people live and they are living among people that they feel liked, high, respected, and with dignity, they tend to live longer. They tend to have healthier lives. And so in those instances, maybe we see that people can live somewhat independently or in a community adjacent to where they may live independently because they are in those situations. But then we see that we have others who are not in those situations. And absolutely, to your point, we know that it costs time, it costs money, it requires human capital 
to take care of someone who is aging. As we know, people generally have more medical appointments as they age, and that means you need to have people to take them to those appointments. That also means that if they haven't had a fairly decent quality of life, then they're more vulnerable to other things, including mental health decline. Yeah, and COVID hasn't helped that either. I'm actually Gen X, and so, you know, I'm of an age where, and my wife is as well, where our parents are are getting up there. And, you know, we see ourselves not necessarily being their caregivers, but certainly sort of dealing with more issues for our parents. What what does your experience tell you with that? So I'm also, I'm a young Gen Xer, and I have lots of friends who are Gen Xers and older millennials. And even with that, I I often feel quite alone in my journey. Um, all of my friends have parents in different communities of care and independent and some who have already passed away. So I think some of them experience caregiving a lot sooner. Um, and I have people who have no idea what it's like because my mom, who's 80 years old, lives in her own home. She's fairly independent, but she still requires someone to look after her. And I have to pay for a private home attendant to stay with her for hours a day, five days a week, to just ensure that she can take her medication appropriately because she's confused and that she will, you know, move her body and she will have someone to talk to. And so it's tough because I don't live in the same state that my mother lives in. And I own a business and I'm a caregiver professionally because I'm a therapist and a coach. And so I'm taking care of patients around the clock too. So it's, it's difficult. You have to get really creative. And I think even if your parents don't require caregiving directly, they may at some point require it indirectly, which may look like you paying bills for them, you coordinating medical appointments for them, you ensuring they have food that hasn't spoiled in the refrigerator so they can eat good food because we know food is tied to brain health. So at some point, even if you're not doing what I'm doing right now, you probably will, or you'll have to at least make those decisions about where they're going to age if they get to a point where they can't safely live at home. And that's what I think at some point everyone is going to experience um, in this country or abroad. Yeah. And what what would a caregiver experience? What are What are some of the things that you're seeing are happening to people that are taking care of their parents? I'm seeing that for the caregiver, and let's start there, to do a lot of work to center the caregiver's needs first, the caregiver has to be well-resourced. And that doesn't necessarily start with money alone, but money is important and it is inclusive. But it, it requires that people who are giving care are taking care of their health. So I make sure that I keep my doctor's appointments. I make sure that as opposed to what I used to do, I prioritize my doctor's appointments. And you need to get rest. And that may be difficult, especially if you're in the home giving care as opposed to living away from your loved one giving care. So you need rest, which is not synonymous with sleep. (laughs) People think that it is, but rest is just doing nothing for the purpose of nothing's sake. (laughs) And it's important that you just do that for your own mind and your own well-being. And that you also need to get a lot of sleep. Sometimes I have a lot of energy. I'm still really young, I think, but I have a lot of energy and it still doesn't mean that I get enough sleep. Um, There are days where I just really need to not have to schedule appointments because I spend a lot of time scheduling appointments for my mother because for some um, really inconvenient reasons, 
the medical system is also not really expansive and it doesn't have a lot of geriatric practitioners and you can spend a ton of hours a week. Sometimes you can spend five hours in a day making phone calls to find practitioners that are taking new patients to understand the insurance of your loved one and how it works and what their entitled rights are. You can even find geriatric services with these organizations that say that they provide transportation or home-delivered meals, but depending on the demographic, it may not be offered where you live, or your parent may have too many um, assets where they don't qualify for services. So those are the things I inform people to look forward to, and this is why it takes a real village of reliable people to assist a caregiver, because there are so many consistent and daily ongoing tasks that you have to do. We have time probably for one last question, and that is, you know, you focused on the resources that are there for, you know, our parents and and the people we're taking care of. Let's talk about, like, the resources that you think are necessary for the caregivers. So the caregivers absolutely need to have reliable, present-minded, focused individuals that can take the task and they can run with it. So that might require that you know who your parents or your loved one's friends are. So if you're taking care of an aging person, but they're not, you know, in a certain group of people that are also incapacitated, you need to make sure that you have those names and numbers. You need to start delegating. That person who's giving care also needs to have money because it costs quite a bit to either hire help like a home attendant or a cleaning service. Um, you also need to be able to have income so you can keep your life going. So whether that means you go from a full-time job to three-quarters or part-time work, you need to have income to resource yourself. You need to have a reliable automobile because if your loved one um, is not someone who can drive anymore, you need to be able to have a car that functions that can escort them to their medical appointments. Um, you absolutely need to have your own social support system, too, to lean on just to vent to or to help you to make decisions that you may not be thinking about because you're in the trenches. So all of those different resources are really necessary for the caregiver. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. That was Asha Terry. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. What if there was a place that promised you leave better than when you came? Where the sunshine never stops, the sleep is exceptional, and the food is the best you've ever had. What if you felt the years come off? That's what guests say about visiting the Cretan Dream Resort and Spa. With flights to Athens, Greece direct and available through Air Canada, you'll be glad you booked. Find special pricing directly on CretanDreamResort.gr. Hurry and book before it sells out. Find out why the Greeks love the island of Crete. Erin Wellness, empowering women through holistic health is more than just a mission, it's their passion. Leaning on the latest scientific research, they've crafted a range of all-natural, high-grade supplements to support women in their unique health journeys. Whether it's perimenopause, hormonal imbalances, sleep issues, or weight loss, each product purchase comes with a comprehensive program complete with educational materials, nutritional information, and strategies for long-term health and wellness. Made for women by women, Erin Wellness supplements are available online at erinwellness.com or at select health stores across Canada. Start your transformation with Erin Wellness today and experience the change that they bring to lives. Visit erinwellness.com 
That's A-E-R-Y-O-N wellness.com because your journey to wellness begins here. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Aaron Ashley is the driving force behind Aaron Wellness Supplements, a holistic nutritionist, keynote speaker, and number one best-selling author. Her overreaching mission is to empower women with holistic health. Uh, her award-winning female-centric scientifically formulated supplements stem from over 20 years of her personal experience grappling with hormonal imbalance, weight management, stress, and sleep issues. In a groundbreaking move, Erin Wellness was featured on CBC's Dragon's Den in December of 21 uh, for the innovative use of QR codes on their product labels. Each product offers a comprehensive wellness program designed to educate and support women in their wellness journey. Erin uh, lives in Vancouver, BC with her daughter and a pair of poodles. And to learn more about her products, books, or upcoming events, uh, you can visit erinwellness.com. Welcome to the show, Erin. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm fantastic, except for all the snow out here in Vancouver, but it's great. Yeah, well, we've got, we're pretty cold here. We don't have a ton of snow, uh, but it is bitterly cold. You're here to inform us about perimenopause. Yes, yes, uh, perimenopause. Which a lot of people confuse with actual menopause. So maybe you can straighten that, that sort of misconception out a, a bit. What is perimenopause? Definitely. So... So it's kind of funny because menopause has gotten all the glory all these years. It's kind of been the superstar, but it really is perimenopause that actually is where all the symptomatic issues begin to happen. So perimenopause is usually between late 30s leading up to menopause. So menopause is one year after your final bleed. And perimenopause now is starting as early as 35. So what ends up happening around this time is our progesterone and estrogen levels slowly begin to take a decline. And what ends up being more symptomatic is a lot of women tend to be estrogen dominant. So we tend to have more estrogen in our body due to the fact we have a lot of xenoestrogens, be it from stress, be it from birth control, be it from the makeup we're using, the skin cleaner, the cleaners, the plastics, all of that stuff. So there's a larger gap between progesterone and estrogen. And we kind of want to keep those in balance because progesterone protects us from the highs and lows of estrogen. So then a lot of women begin to experience all these symptomatic issues, such as period changes. They start getting hot flashes, mood changes, vaginal dryness, sleep problems, weight changes is another thing as well. So it's really perimenopause that's the star of the show. And a lot of women now are beginning to notice that in their 40s. They're like, wait a second, I don't feel like myself anymore. I'm getting a lot more anxiety. I'm beginning to question myself. My moods are all over the place. And that is really what's going on in our body. When you say that perimenopause actually starts in your 30s, are you talking about the hormonal changes or the symptomology? Well, it depends on the person, but you actually, the progesterone and estrogen start declining in your late 30s, and now we're seeing it early as 35. And then some people don't have symptoms. I mean, we're all very, very unique, right? So some people do experience symptoms, some people don't. I mean, some people sail through menopause and have no issues too, and some people have a really tough time. But what's really important, and one of the things I really stress in my talks to women, is if you are experiencing symptoms, if you are having a really symptomatic transition, we really need to view, and I talked to my daughter about this as well, I have a 15-year-old, your period is your monthly report card. We need to start viewing our periods as a gift. We've been given this gift that every month, when we get our cycle, when our menses shows up, when we bleed, we can, if we're really symptomatic, 
really lots of cramps, maybe it's really heavy, you, you know, you can't get out of bed, you're really moody. PMS is not normal. You shouldn't be that symptomatic. So it's a really opportunity to look at what's going on in your life the month before. How stressed were you? Did you work out? Were you having regular bowel movements? Like what was going on that created such a symptomatic issue or such symptoms, right? And so really viewing this opportunity, uh, viewing menopause, perimenopause, viewing the perimenopause is an opportunity to step back and take a look at what is our body saying to us. And so it's quite quite a gift. I believe it is a gift. You know, if we head into fall and flu season and we start to feel sick, we start to up our vitamin D, we start to, you know, go to bed early to pay attention to ourselves. Exact same thing for perimenopause. You want to pay attention to little things that are happening. So then you're not experiencing later in life possible dementia, bone loss, type 2 diabetes, all these things that can happen from this this occurring. So Okay, when you sort of look at perimenopause and the symptomology, as you call it, as a gift because it's a gift of information, that yes. information, is it, is it suggestive of certain stress levels or inputs, or is it suggestive of actual situations? In other words, health issues. So in other words, yes. causes or actual issues? Yeah, I mean, it could be both, right? I mean, if you're noticing that um, brain fog is one of the things, right. right? Or you're having severe anxiety or all of these different things are showing up for you, usually what that indicates is there's something going on. Usually there's, and so there's a way in which you can start looking at, are you, you know, having enough protein? Are you lifting weights on a regular basis? Are you, you know, taking care of yourself? Are you really paying attention to what your body needs? When looking at your stress levels is a big, big indication, right? How are you handling your stress? And learning to handle your stress in in different ways, right? Taking that time, creating boundaries for yourself. Um, stress is a really, really big um, cause for leading to more symptoms. You know, I had a life change in my late 30s. I, I sort of fixed myself. I was morbidly obese and I, I, I kind of changed the way I lived. But for women, I, I would gather that, you know, perimenopause is an opportunity to sort of, it's almost like a wake up call and and how and how you handle your health is is that right is, is that an op, is, is it an opportunity or is it a symptom of of what no, stage it's an opportunity i believe it's an opportunity and if you know um yeah i believe it's, it's such an opportunity for us to step back and take a look at what's going on within our bodies because the thing is, if we're going to have all these symptoms, if we're having all these hot flashes, if we're having all these issues, and then we start going through menopause, menopause could be a lot more challenging for you. And then the later years, what ends up happening is you're at more risk for type 2 diabetes and osteoporosis and dementia and all these other muscle wasting, um, prolapse, all these things that can end up happening to you. So if you start paying attention now, it's really important. And the other thing I tell women is to go get your hormonal panels done. Go get your blood test done. Go to your doctor. Find out where your levels are. Really start taking charge of your health and wellness and actively pursuing that and making sure that you get your doctor to have a hormonal panel done so then you have that information at your fingertips as to what's happening with your hormone levels. I started um, hormonal testing when I was 35. I started doing it once every three years. And now as I'm turning 50, which is like hard to believe, but (laughs) I've been doing it once every year. Because eventually I might possibly be looking at hormone replacement therapy, right? That might be an option for me. But I want to see where my levels are and see how things are going. And so that gives you just the the tools that you can really utilize. When do you recommend that you start that screening as a baseline, right? Because you're trying to establish a baseline so that you can see the changes, right? So, so for women, when should that be? 
Do you know what's interesting is I'm actually, my daughter's 16. I'm going to do her first blood panel this year. What I'm thinking to me as a mother, I'm like, if my daughter gets her blood panel done once every three years, by the time she gets to a point where she wants to have children or then she goes into perimenopause and so on and so forth, the information she's going to have at her fingertips to work with is going to be it's going to be quite astounding. <laughs> so yeah. that's when, for me, I'm starting her quite young. I wish I would have had that, like just to have that information. Uh, for myself, I started at 35. I just had Michaela, so my estrogen and progesterone were quite high at the time. And I've just done it every three years. I have a great family physician. Um, and a lot of women are really struggling getting family physicians, so I do understand that. You can go to a naturopath if you have extended benefits, and they can run another test called the Dutch test, and that is a urine test. It's a little bit more complicated comprehensive, they can also get that one done too. You were mentioning earlier that, you know, part of the purpose in understanding your hormone levels and and sort of keeping track of perimenopause symptomology is that you can take steps. So what sort of preventative measures have you undertaken and and what you would recommend for women who who are experiencing some of these problems? Um, One of the first things I would do is really look at your stress levels right? Mm -hmm. Really look at how you're handling stress on a day-to-day basis. The simplest thing you can do that is free is really start paying attention to your thoughts. When I lay in bed first thing in the morning, I start with gratitude, right? I and because thoughts create feelings or actions or non-actions when you kind of look at cognitive behavioral therapy. And, you know, studies have actually shown that women who view menopause in a negative light, guess what? have more symptoms, and have a negative menopause experience. So really looking at stress levels, really looking, looking at the way you're thinking of things. Breathing is another thing that you can do that's very simple, really like really taking breath in, holding breath for a couple seconds, and breathing out through your mouth. Clinical studies have shown 15 minutes of breath work twice a day reduces hot flashes, PMS, headaches, and helps mood and stress tolerance. So that's something really simple. Then we get to nutrition. Protein, ladies, one I'm one gram of protein per pound. And I know that sounds high, but your body is not breaking down nutrients the same way it did when we were younger. We're not the same anymore. I think I can attribute, I can definitely say that my hangovers are not the same anymore. So the way my body's processing yeah. food is not the same anymore. <laughs> right. But 41% of women, 50 plus, do not have enough protein every day. So there's salmon, chicken, Greek yogurt, protein powders. There's tons of things on the market now to make sure you're getting protein with every single meal. Lifting weights, lifting heavy weights is really important at least three times a week. That's going to help with scarpenia, which is muscle wasting. It can help with prolapse as well. 50% of women actually experience prolapse. And that basically, essentially, as horrible as it may sound, is when your uterus kind of drops into your vagina. So things like Kegels, Squats, again, lifting weights are preventative, right? Bridges, they all improve the pelvic floor. So looking at those things and then also to brain health as well, making sure that you're, you know, taking care of your brain health, that you're challenging yourself with new activities. 60% of middle-aged women report um, issues with cognition. So those type of things are really important steps you can be taking now that can then help you as we get into our 70s, because the whole point of all of this is to be vital and happy and healthy when we're in our 70s and 80s, and we're not, you know, crumbling little grandmas trying to (laughs) get across the street, and we have no autonomy, and we have to rely on everybody to do things for us. So I think those are some really important things we can be doing. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. That was Erin Ashley. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. 
The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Veterinarian Dr. Carol Osborne is a board-certified diplomate of the American Board of Anti-Aging Medicine and has pioneered the exploration of new therapies for the treatment and prevention of age-related degenerative disease, as well as optimum health and performance for pets. She created and patented PAWS, that's Pet Anti-Aging Wellness System, and authored Naturally Healthy Dogs and Naturally Healthy Cats. Dr. Carroll has appeared several times on Fox and Friends, The Today Show, Good Day LA, and Discovery's Animal Planet. She's also been featured in USA Today, The LA Times, Ladies Home Journal, Women's World, In Style, and The New York Daily News. Welcome back to the show, Carol. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm not sure where you are. I think you're in the north of United States, but up here in... in Chagrin Falls, Ohio. Okay, so kind, kind of up north. I don't know what the weather's like there. I can tell you it is very, 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 I can't, I'd add like maybe six more very cold up here in Toronto. So... It's chilly here today. It's uh, two degrees. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think you're, you're talking Fahrenheit, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. That's that sounds like about where we are. So, um obviously if you have pets, they they need to go outside to do their business, particularly dogs. I happen to have a dog. So, how do you best protect your pet from those frigidly cold temperatures? Uh, you know, that's that's a great topic. Um and as far as going outside in weather like this, uh, a lot of pets are pretty reluctant to do that. And so you might have to consider making special accommodations uh, so that they don't, uh, for example, get constipated because they just don't want to eliminate outside. Um, and if there's a little spot by, you know, by your door where you can maybe put some kind of a covering on it, uh, even put a, a little carpet or, or a mat down to encourage them to eliminate, that, that eliminates some internal issues that are, that are not uncommon. As far as going outside, um, you know, I tell my patients if it's, uh, you know, too cold for you to go outside, it's going to be too cold for your pet. So if you're putting on a jacket, chances are your pet's going to need a jacket as well. You know, unless you've got a big, a big husky or, you know, or, or a sled-type dog. And, and don't forget about your pet's feet. Uh, you know, they've got all kind of great booties and whatnot out there. Um, so you don't want their feet to get too cold. 
and you don't want them to stay outside very long, especially up where, where you are, Jamie. Uh, frostbite, you know, the most susceptible spots are going to be uh, the toes, you know, the, the, the foot pads, uh, the ear tips. Uh, and, and the tail. Uh, so keep an eye on that because uh, frostbite is the last thing you want. Yeah, my dog is actually part Aussie Shepherd. So used to being out in the cold up in the mountains doing some herding. And she sure. has she has no problem, doesn't care, wants to be outside. And she has a double coat. But, you know, your your point you know, about the booties, I had to chase her around the house yesterday because, you know, we, we needed – she hates them. Like, she hates the idea of them and put it – like, we have the little balloon-type ones. And we tried right. – uh, you know, trying to get them on her paws is, is a challenge. She's happy once she has them on, right, because then she – she, you know, she doesn't get uh, salt damage uh, to her paws because there's plenty of salt right. that, that's spread around here. But getting them on, convince, like, how do you reason with a dog, right? Like, this is for your own good. And she's looking at me no, like. It's hard. You know, a lot, a lot of dogs feel just the same way yours does. Um, and there's a couple of little home recipes uh, that can protect the foot pads in extremes of cold or heat. You can uh, take some tea, any kind you want. Uh, and steep a really strong pot, let it cool, and uh, get get a little tiny paintbrush and paint your pet's foot pads uh, once a day for about 14 days in a row. Uh, and the tannins in the tea will naturally toughen up those foot pads um, and help them resist temperature extremes. When you're doing that, do you do you sort of wick away the extra tea because I would imagine it's that's that's a recipe for staining around the house if you're if you're not careful yeah you want to definitely do it carefully so you don't mess up your carpets and whatnot but uh, it it works pretty well it's a little little trick that um, a lot of a lot of these guys that uh, rock climb and mountain climb with pets use uh, to help protect their pets foot pads you mentioned frostbite a few moments ago how do you know if your pet has frostbite well the uh, Frostbitten skin kind of turns a, a grayish color. Um, obviously, uh, it's pretty painful. Um, but if you uh, think that this might be going on, just you know, bring your pet inside. Obviously, um, you want to give them a warm bath. Uh, wrap them up in a warm towel. You do not want to rub a potentially frostbitten area. Uh, that just makes it worse, you know. And obviously, uh, give your give your veterinarian a call. You're talking about skin, so you're talking about like the paw pads yeah. turning gray. Uh, yeah, the little tips of the toes, not, not the pads, the, the the tips of the toes. Okay. Yeah, and then the, you know the, the ear tips, the tip of the tail. Okay. The, the, those are the most susceptible areas for for frostbite. Uh, so. That's a good thing to keep, to keep an eye on. And uh, as far as road salt, you know, any kind of salt, um, that's super irritating as well. So uh, if your pet is not wearing booties, you know, when they, when they come inside, you can take a little spritzer bottle, fill it half with water, half with rubbing alcohol, spritz your, your pet's feet off um, so that it, it relieves the irritation, or even just take a little plastic container with you know, with water and just rinse your pet's feet off and dry them. And that gets that salt off. And then, you know, they're not licking their feet all day and getting sick. Is there a rule of thumb? Like there's a huge difference. Sorry, I think in Celsius, not Fahrenheit up here in Canada. But, you know, there's a huge difference between freezing, which I guess would be your 32 and zero, right? So is there a rule of thumb for how long they can go out for depending on how cold it gets? Well, once again, 
I, I think it really just comes down to common sense. Okay. Um, you know, if you, you're you're out there with your husky dog in those kind of temperatures, I personally would think in 15 or 20 minutes, Max, you're ready, you're ready to come inside. You know, on the other hand, um, if you've got a Maltese or a Dachshund, um, you know, three or four minutes is, is probably a lot. So really, it's just, you know, good common sense. Okay. I guess I'm I'm without sense because we did about 45 minutes this morning and it was... Uh, wow. Yeah. No, she, she was fine. Uh, you know, she we had the um, we had the little balloony things on her paws, but otherwise she was good to go. Like she wasn't... She seemed like she was frolicking, so I could tell she was fine. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the other thing is, you know, um, animals are, are, are like children in, in many ways. They may want to stay outside for hours. I think mom and dad have to, like you, have you know, common sense to say, okay, time to come in now. No, I, I did not want to be out there, trust me. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about their diet? Should that change when it gets colder? I think so. I think you have to feed them a little bit more so they can um, make enough energy to stay warm, you know, so that they're going to burn some extra calories. And, uh, and definitely you want to increase their food a little bit, whether you're, you know, making it yourself or um, just getting it from a bag or, you know, a box or, or, or a can. But you definitely need some extra calories in the winter. Um, and it doesn't matter where those calories come from. Like, should it be protein? Should it be meat? Does it matter? Pro- protein is, is um, in most cases, your best bet. Um, so whether you're, uh, you know, most people are going to derive that from, from some type of meat, uh, w- whatever kind of, you know, it, it might be. And, you know, increasing that, you know, maybe 10 or 15% is probably a pretty good rule of thumb. Okay, so we were talking about salt getting into the paws before, and I think it's pretty obvious that anybody who has a pet knows that, you know, the salt they use to de-ice is, is a problem. Yeah. Are there any, sure. are there any, I mean, there are certainly products that are especially rated for pets, but you know, there's all sorts of products that people use to de-ice. Is there anything other than salt that we should look out for as a potential hazard for, for pets who are outside? Yeah. Well, if you're working on your antifreeze, you know, that's, that's deadly. It just takes about a, about a teaspoon is going to be deadly for a pet. Um, and, it, and it smells really sweet. So, you know, if you're working on your antifreeze or your radiators leaking or you know, you're just changing your car. Make sure your pets aren't in the area. If there is a spill, clean it up right away. You know, store it in a sealed container way up high out of your pet's paw reach, you know, in a secure type of a cabinet. If you do think your pet got into antifreeze, it is one of the few true, literally, uh, life and death emergencies. Um, grab the can and call your vet and uh, go. You know, after about an hour or so, it's uh, irreversible. Uh, simultaneous liver and kidney damage. So, for for most pets, it's um, there's there's not a good outcome. Okay, we have time for one last question, and that is: Are there any other hazards that are you know are around this time of year that we should keep an eye out for as we're walking our pets? You know, if if, if, if your car's parked outside, uh, cats love to sleep in the engine, so uh, honk the horn or bang on the hood a couple times. Before, before you start your car, in case there is a kitty in there. And if you got lakes and ponds and rivers, remember, uh, that ice can be thin. So, uh, you know, pets can slip through it, and then you got another problem on your hand. Uh, be careful with that. If you have things like space heaters, um, those things can start fires. So a lot of good common sense, I think, is the most important thing. And uh, bundle up and pray for sunshine. For sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jamie. 
Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Andy Donald, Asha Terry, Aaron Ashley, and Dr. Carol Osborne. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For more timely, up-to-date, and accurate health and wellness information, subscribe to The Tonic Newsletter. Now distributed once a week, The Tonic Newsletter, with content curated personally by me, will keep you in the loop. There's contests, prizes, insider scoops, and so much more. Visit www.thetonic.ca and sign up today. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.